Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? The Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe he didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell but it anyway. I, I knew you were going to go there. We're going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, well, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. By Hay Bale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Ottertail County. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts or by streaming the show on demand. That's just the audio version. Of course, you can also watch this show on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble. Do you have to say it like that, Dan? Rumble? Yeah, I think so, it's it's an so, option. Something you're cooler if you do. <laughs> or, or maybe not. Well... <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, Probably cooler if you don't say it like that. But anyway, you can watch it there. Uh, of course, Instagram, follow us on all these. If you are watching this, please uh, hit that like button, uh, subscribe, follow, whatever platform you're watching it on. Uh, please follow us for updates and uh, share this with your friends. We do appreciate that. we got a big show for you uh, the, this week. We're talking deer hunting with the, uh, the deer openers coming up here in the various states around the region. We're going to talk about what people are seeing out there right now. We'll offer you some tips on what can make you a more successful deer hunter in the woods. We'll talk about preferences from bows, shotguns, rifles, uh, different types of, uh, of firearms and weapons that you can use out there in your pursuit, what you like, what works better, etc. things like that. And little things too, like hunting in the rain, hunting in strong winds, what preferences are like. And we're going to talk about some successful hunts so far. Sam Solholt will be joining us here on the show. Also, Tyler Scott will be coming in. Uh, Taylor Bester was going to join us this week too. He's a little under the weather today. Day. Hope you feel better, uh, Taylor. We'll have you coming up in a couple of weeks because we try to get Craig Engwall on the show this week too, Dan uh, from Minnesota Deer Hunters Association. And uh, Craig's like, I don't know what it is about this time of year, but everybody wants to interview me. And he he's just booked solid with interviews all week this week. Funny so how that happens around <laughs> deer, season. deer season, yeah. <laughs> so what what I told Craig and and what I told Taylor is we'll have them on as the season progresses or maybe after the season to talk about uh, what kind of season we uh, we saw out there around the region. So for now, though, we're going to bring on Sam Solholt, who uh, is joining us via the internet from uh, probably from up there in Fargo. Hey, Sam. Yep, that's exactly where I'm at. How, how's it going, man? It's good, man. I'm just glad to be back on. Yeah, well, thanks for coming back on. We appreciate it. Of course, uh, uh, part of the reason we wanted to have you on is because you just shot a really nice deer um, that you should probably I did get, I did get lucky. Yeah. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, was down in Wisconsin last week and was part of, you know, every once in a while I get really lucky and I get to go on a photo assignment where they let me get, pick up a tag. And this was one of those assignments. So I got to go hunt a property down in Buffalo County, Wisconsin that is was, for me, was like hunting Disneyland. And um, it was just incredible. It was <clears throat> Bluff Country Outfitters is the one we were at and shooting photos on assignment for uh, one of my clients that I work with. And I shot my buck uh, the second day into the trip and it was, it was, you know, kind of 
we got there right before that cold front hit, which was perfect timing. Uh, the first day that we hunted, you know, everybody that was hunting saw good deer activity, you know, stuff moving before um, that front coming in the, the evening. The first evening that I sat, I actually had two uh, three-year-olds within shooting range and um, had one work a scrape and they were chasing does and there was grunting. There was all sorts of stuff going on. And then the next day, uh, the temp had shifted, it dropped a lot, and it was just one of those cool, crisp fall days for late October. And got in the tree in the afternoon about, oh, 12.30, and about 4.30, I had a, a doe pop out below me about 40 yards, and uh, following her was a big uh, eight-point. And mm. they they walked, they walked by me at about 40 yards, no shot, um, just too thick through some of the trees down below me. And then about a 40 minutes, hour later, the, uh, that doe had ended up circling uphill and uh, she ended up walking right below my tree stand uh, out into this cut bean field. And sure enough, he was following her. And instead of going under my stand, he cut out in front of me and I shot him at about six or seven yards. Dang. Um, and yeah, so yeah, he's, uh, he's one of the better bucks I've ever shot. And like, it was just so intense because uh, when, when she popped out on the, the trail coming to my stand and he popped out after, you know, coming straight head on. So just watching his frame, like work down that trail, like obviously I couldn't take a frontal shot and I just got lucky that he cut out in front of the stand. Otherwise I was going to have to do a full 180 in the tree stand to try to shoot him <laughs> quartering away as he got past me. And I, like, so every time he put his head behind the tree, I was shifting my boots in the stand and trying to like squeak, get ready squeak. for that maneuver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, no, it was, it was just a super cool experience. So fun to have one like that on the ground already in October. I almost got busted by one of those boot squeaks one time. So I, I get it. And moving around in a stand like that's not, not that easy. What kind of stand were you in? So this was just a ladder stand. So it was like a big heavy duty ladder stand, which uh, can be good if they're secure. And this one luckily was, but man, I've been in a bunch of them where you know, you, you like your heart starts pounding and the tree stand starts shaking. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just put up a, a, a double wide, a two person so that Dan and I can hunt and film out of it. And I had just a single ladder stand in there and didn't have any problems. Well, when I put that big, that big giant double wide up there, I realized the tree is probably just a hair small for that big of a stand. So <laughs> she does shift a little bit when you're up there and uh, you got to be real careful so you don't make any noise and talking about shooting a deer at that, at that distance, six or seven yards, I've shot a number of deer at that distance with my bow and not never with a gun. It seems like, and that's the beauty of, of bow hunting. I mean, I've had some deer close during the gun season, but that's the beauty of bow hunting in my opinion. When people ask me why I like to bow hunt, not gun hunt, that is one of the biggest reasons right there because you get those deer that aren't running for their lives. You know, you get to see them kind of in their natural patterns, their natural habitats. If there's a trail nearby, they're just kind of slowly moseying, moseying along that trail or browsing along the way. And you can get deer so close. And sometimes that's a challenge. I shot one and it was right after legal shooting time and I put, I put my bow up and all I could see was brown. The deer was so close to me. Like I was, I had to move my bow around to try to figure out where the shoulder was. And it was just, it was weight. It was like looking through a, looking through a scope, you know, at five yards, basically it was so mm -hmm. close, but uh, man, that's awesome. And, and an eight point, that's cool to see yeah. a big eight point like that. It almost looked like it could have, could have gone to a nine there, Sam, with that one. Yeah, he's got a little nubbin. I mean, I guess he does have a split G2, so you could count yeah, that if you want. That's he's cool got a little though. nubbin on that left side that doesn't, it didn't quite make an inch, so it mm -hmm. didn't count 
as a nine point if you're scoring one. Um, but I just, uh, I mean, for anybody who cares about inches, typically I, I basically like rough estimate when I look at it, but, uh, one of the guys in camp put a tape on it right away and it just cracked that 150 inch mark as a, as an eight, so, as an eight. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Got, yeah. He's, he's, you know, real big frame on him. He had 25 inch main beams and, uh, 19, almost a 20 inch inside spread. That split G2 yeah. is pretty cool. And in the picture, it's hard to tell in the picture, but it almost looks flat on the front. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. It's basically like a big blade that, uh, that G2 on that right side is just super wide. Um, but yeah, like you, you know, we're talking about shooting them so close. Uh, you know, I don't practice that. Like, you know, that stand was probably 20 feet tall. Um, and I don't, I don't practice that like it's a six, tough shot. seven yard shot very, and yeah. I totally screwed it up. Oh, like oh you I, don't have I, a, you don't have a six yard pin on your bow. No, I don't. And I, I, uh, you know, like I was just, I was so jacked, you know, my heart's pounding and I got drawn back on him and, uh, you know, I put it right on the pocket and I just spined him because I, you know, obviously the arrow is still rising at that point. So I spined yeah. him and dro- like, and then I was like, Oh, you know, and just quick grabbed another arrow and was able to get another one in him. But, you know, almost like basically got lucky on that one for not, you know, just no zoning him. But, um, yeah, it was super cool, man. That's, that's awesome. Um, that, that was a job, right? I mean, that, <laughs> that's cool. We get to do when we, we film stuff. I mean, some people give us a hard time saying, Oh, real hard work. And it is still work when we have to go on a, like a, a photo shoot or, uh, or cr- some sort of content creation at a, you know, whether it's a guide service or an outfitter or boat company, whatever it is, it's work, but we usually do get to have a little bit of fun with it too. And, and I don't know how many times I've had, you know, filming a TV show and the freelancers like, Oh, I better not, I better not do any fishing while I'm here. I'm like, dude, grab a rod, right? Grab a rod and do a little bit. Well, I don't know what happens if you catch, you know, the, the big, what happens if I catch the biggest fish? I'm like, well, I'll pick up the camera, you know, like, we'll we'll figure it out, but it's nice to let the camera guys have a little bit of fun too. So were you, you being that, you got to get a tag was this you had a are you basically doing a story about like a social media story about about that then or is there going to be like a written piece or a a filmed piece or how how else can we learn about it yes it was uh this trip was mainly a call it a pr hunt uh so it was basically a way to test out some new some new products and so there were uh some writers there from a few different publications and uh i'm a an ambassador for the brand and so i was there you know to both shoot photos and then hunt and um so it was kind of a way to just get those products in the field and let everybody test them Mm. um that was like the main focus of the trip so uh, that's what we were there doing. And I was not going to turn down picking up a Wisconsin deer <laughs> no, tag. So <laughs> No. And you were down in bluff yeah. country, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, I, I put it in my post, um, about, you know, you hear about all these places in the country where big deer exist. Uh, you know, like I was an intern at Midwest whitetail. So Southern Iowa, like I've seen that firsthand, but places like Adams County, Ohio, Pike County, Illinois, and then Buffalo County, Wisconsin. And Buffalo County really being that spot in the country where, you know, there's more, it's like twice as many Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett deer killed every year in that county alone than the next top county in the country. So you, you, you look at that and you just know like you're in a place where something really special could walk by. And yeah. like while we were in camp, you know, while we were in camp, a guy from close in the area, um, brought his buck in to have photos shot and it was uh 203 inches i mean an absolute gargantuan deer and when he he dropped the tailgate on it like i was just hanging out in camp because i had killed a deer the day before 
but yeah, he pulled up and dropped the tailgate and like I, my jaw, I'm pretty sure I saw gravel like in my, <laughs> in my chin from my jaw hitting the ground. Dang. It was just unbelievable stuff. So is there a picture of that one floating around somewhere? No, I didn't. I haven't posted anything about that one. Cause it's, gotcha. uh, I didn't know the gentleman and I don't, I don't know if he wants anything posted out there, sure. but yeah, just a land of giants for sure. That shot, by the way, Dan, pull up that shot again where that deer's hanging in the that I was going to call it a garage, but it's like it's that's a structure is what that thing is right there. That's pretty sweet. That looks like a home. Is that like a, a winch or a homemade gambrel or what? 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 What's going on there? Yeah. So the barn that they have, you know, it's like full of, you know, 35 years of deer hunting equipment and whatever. Um, and then they just have a big pulley system with a winch on it and then a uh, gambrels there hanging there and then they have a scale on it because they like to you know but you know it's wisconsin so they like to weigh everything when you bring it in so sure. you know we threw my buck on the scale it was you know 254 pounds live yeah. weight and then it, it was 215 pounds after we addressed them out so hmm. um it was kind of like i've never weighed a deer so it was kind of fun to like know yeah that, um and know what i'm looking at but um and 40 yeah, pounds was, 40 pounds of guts in there that's i think that mm -hmm. sounds Sounds about right. I don't weigh deer generally either, but uh, I think that's about what I've heard for when you're yep. when you're pulling that stuff out of the deer. That's uh, that's yep. pretty sweet. Well, when you talk about those counties that you mentioned there, what do you suppose it is that makes those counties so much better? Is it like-minded deer hunters that are doing some some deer management? Is it uh, just the 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 landscape that? that uh, creates prime habitat for deer is it more food uh what do you what do you suppose it is so i think it's a combo of variables um but buffalo county for sure like i know um definitively that that is from a couple of things and, and mainly being like-minded individuals that own property so the the place that we were hunting um, tom indebro is the guy who owns bluff country outfitters and that whole property and he bought it I think it was a little over 30 years ago and, you know, kind of started focusing on, you know, trying to kill big deer. And, you know, as the, you know, as the success of his farm, uh, like, you know, grew and like all the neighbors started to see like, oh man, like they let this deer and this deer go for a while. And all of a sudden somebody shot a Boone and Crockett buck and, you know, all these different things. You started to have this like culture being built in that area and it just continued to spread. And now you have, basically an entire county or entire portion of a state that, you know, whether it be guys like Tom or local landowners or people that, you know, have bought hunting land there, they're all thinking the same way. And so you have culture that's trying to grow bigger, or, you know, at least pass up younger deer. Um, you have the, the topography there allow is such that it allows deer to get old. You know, there's, you have basically all these, ripples of land and stuff where deer could just disappear even if you spend a lot of time on that property so you have that going for it i think the winter is you know you have a winter but it's not as harsh as maybe some of like the more northern climate stuff and then just food and genetics you know like all that stuff combines but i think it starts with hmm. you know people uh thinking about you know maybe maybe let that deer go maybe you know focus on trying to kill old deer and not just you know big deer could you show us on this map exactly where you shot that deer? That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. No, that, that landscape down there along the river is such neat 
country. And for a guy that spent a lot of time, you know, in the Dakotas and Western Minnesota, where I'm used to being able to, what's the old joke? You could watch your dog run away for three days. Mm-hmm. He's still mm-hmm. running. You can still see him running away three days later. Uh, being able to, you know, going down uh, into that bluff country down there, that driftless region, it's like being in a different world down there, man. Yeah. And it, incredible. You know, like I've had uh, my grandparents uh, lived in Wisconsin. So you would, we would drive through some of that type of stuff. And um, every once in a while, a couple of times we drove through in the fall and just like watching the color change and all that stuff happening in like those, that bluff country was just like very special even back then. And then just to go hunt it, you're right. It's a completely different world from what I grew up hunting, which is very flat. And you know, there's very, very few trees. And so you're like, well, the the deer probably live in there or they live in a cattail slough or, you know, Mm. whatever. So it was, it was kind of fun to go to a spot where I had to like wrap my head around, uh, a different way that deer live, you know, in different areas that are bedding and, and, you know, travel routes and that kind of stuff. So it was, it was fun to just, as they were talking about different deer living in certain areas, you know, I would pull up on X and just be looking at it and be like, Oh, okay. That makes sense that they would use this Ridge to connect to this Ridge, to connect the rip to this Ridge. And that's why they're seeing him here and there. And, all, you know, um, so it's like a whole new learning experience. It was pretty cool. I, I know I've asked you this before, but are you from Fargo? Are you from North Dakota? Nope, I'm uh, from South Dakota, so South grew Dakota. up in Sioux. Yep, yep. Born in Aberdeen, and then grew up in Sioux Falls, down in the southeast corner. That's right. So I grew up deer hunting in Northwest Wisconsin, generally, and uh, very wooded Northern Wisconsin, kind of hilly. Nothing like down in uh, Southwest Wisconsin, but Northwest Wisconsin, kind of hilly. Lots of trees, lots of stand hunting, and then we did the big drives. You get ten guys and just start pushing woods, and guns would be going off in all directions. And we did that for a few years. And we're like, ah, this is this is a little too. Uh, there's, and and then we we went and got some new land up there. And we just stand hunt. Basically, we'd all spread out and we'd go out there in the morning, sit all day and shoot our deer. And I remember sitting in my stand one time and we leased some land and a group of about 11 or 12 deer hunters carrying 30 out sixes and dressed uh, head to toe in orange came up and they said, well, we're going to push these woods. And I said, well, this, this, this is our, these are our woods. We got eight guys spread out in stands throughout the woods here along the river. Like, yeah, we don't care. They were going to push it anyway. So that, that kind of changed that. That's one of the reasons why I think I got into bow hunting a little bit more. Cause it's just not, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a little more peaceful. It's a little more relaxing. You don't have all that pressure of deer hunters in the yep. woods, moving deer all over the place. And, and where I'm going with this is then when I moved to North Dakota and I saw how deer hunters, did it in North Dakota. And instead of 12 guys driving every piece of woods they could find, they were literally driving in trucks around the, (laughs) around the prairie until they saw a deer run across the field. And obviously that's, that's not, that's the exception. That's not everybody, how everybody hunts over there. But I saw that a little bit while we were duck hunting and I wore a few more pieces of orange when I'd walk from my blind from back and forth to the blind from my truck. But, um, Mm -hmm. it, it, that, that landscape difference though, in the Dakotas where, it was surprising to me to see as many deer 
you know, uh, relatively speaking, as many deer in the Dakotas as I'd see in the, in the north woods of Wisconsin, when you're talking about the prairie and you're talking about groves here and there and cattail sloughs and then, you know, f- fields of, of corn and soybeans, deer, deer are great at adapting to, to wherever they need to be. But you had to learn how they use the landscape differently because because uh, the landscape obviously was very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But it was fun over it's, there. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Sam. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to share a story. Uh, I had a similar experience with opening weekend of rifle season. Um, when I was in college, a buddy and I decided to go pheasant hunting that weekend. Uh, hadn't really been paying attention to the season dates because back then all I did was <laughs> waterfowl hunt and pheasant yeah. hunt and went out there and uh, we walked one field and then left to go home because it was so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's crazy. But, I have the time in Minnesota here too, uh, on the gun opener at the time, I just stay home. I just stay inside and get work done. Maybe do a little mm-hmm. bit of pheasant hunting or duck hunting on, on a small piece of private land or whatever. I don't go anywhere near the public stuff cause it gets walked by about a uh, hundred people, which whatever that's what the land is for. I'm glad people are out hunting. I'm not trying to knock it, but it gets a little, it gets a little Western out there sometimes, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody going out for opening weekends, just be safe, you know, yeah. know where your gun's aiming. For a guy that's hunted in South Dakota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and beyond, when you look at how deer hunting is managed and regulated here in our region, what do you see uh, between the states that are different, and what do you think works better than than some of the other states? You know, have you seen anything? You said, "Gosh, I wish they did it like these guys do it over here." Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say the timing of the gun season, mm. and and. It, and it's the difference in uh, each state agency, and I'm not I'm not going to say or knock any agency. So you have you have some agencies that manage for quality of an experience, and you have some agencies that are going to manage for opportunity of experience, and that's fine. I mean, it depends on what you're going for as an agency and what how much money you're trying to raise for uh, for the state to manage the wildlife. So you know you have states North and South Dakota both have uh, rifle seasons right in the middle of the rut. You know, if you go further south, if you look at a state like Kansas, which is historically known for big deer, you know, their gun season doesn't start until December 1st. Mm. Um, you know, I think especially in open country like that, I think that makes a giant difference. Now, if you look at more wooded states, you know, parts like obviously northern Minnesota, um, big swaths of Minnesota have lots of woods. Um, Wisconsin has, you know, a lot of big hardwoods. I think you can probably get away with having a gun season during the rut a little bit more. I mean, obviously there's still going to be a lot of deer because all the bucks are acting pretty stupid. Um, but when it comes to that, like real rolling prairie stuff, it's hard to save a lot of deer, uh, during the rut when there's a, when there's a rifle season going on, um, that now that being said, if you're a rifle hunter, it's amazing. Um, and I'm, I've got a rifle tag in North Dakota this year. I'm going to be hunting, uh, white tails with a rifle. Um, and I'm not going opening weekend, but I'll go shortly after that. And so, you know, like I say that on one side and then on the other side, I'm like pretty excited to be going and hunting the rut. It's the first time I've been whitetail hunting with a rifle in like 15 years. So I'm, you know, excited to go have that experience and, uh, and do that. So, but yeah, it's yeah. just, it kind of depends on what the goal of the state is. And I think that really stems from the culture of the hunters in that state. Mm-hmm. So if you have, if you have states that are, you know, it's more surrounding like deer camp and just shooting deer to get meat and that kind of thing. Like, you know, the, if the deer camp vibe is still 
like heavily embedded, it's going to be pretty hard to get that, you know, changed ever because yeah. one, it makes a ton of money for the state and two, it gives a ton of people opportunity to go hunting. And that's really, you know, what we need to focus on is, you know, getting people into hunting, keeping people into hunting and making sure there's a balance between, you know, what people are trying to do. Yeah, that's the hard part to, uh, in a state like Minnesota, you have so many different opinions and they all like to think that theirs is, is the best, uh, m- me included. I think I've got the best opinion, which, and so do you, I'm sure. I think, I'm sure we all do. It's hard. Like I wouldn't want to be in charge of managing deer in Minnesota because you have to try to please everybody. And that's just, it's impossible. But I think there's that battle of meat hunter versus trophy hunter and I, th- I think what you can do, I think you can have the best of both worlds. And I think people need to need to be open to changing their mind on a couple of things because I love to eat venison and I, I want to put a deer in my freezer no matter what, but I also know I want to shoot a big deer and I would put one on the wall. I'd be happy to. So I think you can do both. I think you can be a meat hunter and a guy that wants to shoot a big buck. So when it comes to, you just have to pick what deer you're going to shoot to be your meat deer. And to me, I usually try to pick a big doe. Some people will, you know, and there's arguments about what's the best deer for, for a meat deer. But for me, it's a big doe, one that doesn't have a fawn with it generally. And, uh, and then let the little bucks get bigger. Now, guys that like to meat hunt don't care about a trophy. They're going to go shoot a six pointer and be happy with it. And that's great. And that's their right to do so. Um, so that, that, that becomes, how do you, how do you change that guy's mind to say, if, you know, we want to shoot bigger deer. Just pick a different deer for your meat deer and then everybody wins. But if that's the only deer that that guy has a chance to shoot, he's only out for the weekend. It's the only time he's got to hunt all, all year. It's hard. It's hard to tell that guy not to shoot that deer. Yeah, basically impossible. And impossible. I, I certainly would not be. I mean, I, I would certainly not want to be in charge of managing, you know, the state for like so like trying to keep everybody happy um but i do agree i do agree with you know your line of thinking where if you know to have the best of both worlds it's going to take that shift where um people that are just looking to you know add steaks and ground deer to the the freezer like you know try to try to shoot a doe and and uh maybe let that spike walk or that little forky or you know whatever um and certainly don't you know pass up does that come by and then shoot a, a buck just to shoot a buck Um, I think that's, and we probably like collectively as hunters need to do a better job about that and a better, like, you know, do a better job of talking about that, that that is okay to do. Like, it's okay to shoot a doe. They taste just as good. And, you know, when you were saying, you know, it's, there's arguments about what deer tastes the best. My argument is that if it's cooked properly, they all taste amazing. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. hundred percent. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I've had, I've eaten a lot of strange things over the last few years and <laughs> it's cooked, cooked properly. It all tastes really, really good. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah. I shot a, a sagey mule deer a couple of years ago and I fed some of the back straps to a couple of guys and they said it's some of the best steaks that they've ever had. So I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you about that. Um, about just 
processing, preparing, and 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 handling. So I, I always yeah. stress if you're going to eat that when you should, if you shot it, you should eat it or somebody should be eating it. You should be treating it like meat and not just a dead animal that you're going to drag out of the woods at that point and then throw on on your uh, your your hitch cargo hitch trailer that's going to sit and suck exhaust for that six hour drive home and 70 degree heat. You know, that, that deer is pretty yep. much ruined at that point. So take care of it like yep. like it's meat. All right, Sam, I want to talk uh, a little bit about just kind of some of your preferences on hunting give people some tips if we can like when it comes to hunting obviously i play the wind um Mm -hmm. which is which is pretty obvious but what's your favorite time to be in the stand you have a time of year or a time of day that you prefer to be out there yeah so uh my favorite for sure i like hunting mornings more so uh Hmm. than evenings but i I think that i I think you can kill i've killed a lot of deer in the evenings too but I, i like mornings better and my favorite like window of time to hunt is November, starting the third or fourth through like the 10th or 11th. Um, in my short life, that my experience is that I've seen more mature deer on their feet moving in daylight, starting r- somewhere right in those first few days of November up until about the 10th. And then you'll get, you know, some of that lockdown period, which can be equally as good. But a lot of times guys will just not see deer. But yeah, those that first you know, kind of let those first few calendar days roll by and then hit it pretty hard. I like that Halloween week. Yeah. Right around end of October, beginning of end of October, beginning of, of November. Yeah. yeah. Um, for sure. I, you know what? I love evenings, but it's mostly because I don't like getting up as early as I need to get up to go, to go. Yeah. <laughs> I hate getting I up early. That. Gosh. I, yeah. But I, I, know that I like going in, in the daylight too. I like being able to see when I walk into the stand, but I think I've shot bigger. I've definitely shot more deer and bigger deer in the morning, uh, bow hunting. And I just remember too, going back to that argument about bucks and does and what people can shoot sometimes too, that becomes, uh, uh, you know, as bow hunters, I don't really have to think about that cause I can shoot whatever, but those gun hunters, sometimes they don't have doe tags. And when they have a buck only and their only opportunity True. is shoot a, shoot a small buck, that's, that's a tough decision to have to make if you want to eat eat venison but um back to bow hunting or or deer hunting i guess in general what about you know you hear hunters say oh when the weather gets bad that's when that's when i hit the road you know that's when i like that's when i like to hunt those weather changes and yeah sometimes the weather change can can make just about any hunting better at times but when it comes to deer uh like on a windy day or a rainy day you know we had a lot of rain here today when we were recording this mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we got bucks on camera again we hadn't seen them for a couple of weeks now we also had the last of our standing corn come out next to the property so I think that probably had more to do with it, but to see him, see a nice buck walking during the day, during shooting, shooting light, legal shooting time. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there he is, you know, he's not a giant, but that's the first, first buck of that size we've seen in a couple of weeks on camera. Yep. It just happened to be on uh, on a rainy day at seven thirty in the morning. So what's been your experience on cloudy, rainy, windy days? So I think if you can have, uh, like if you get rain, like if it's just kind of a consistent light rain, um, where it's, it's one of those like soakers, I think that can be incredible hunting. Um, especially if you have a cold front coming in or a, you know, kind of that weather shift. If you have like a really hard rain, all those deer are t- mostly doing what you want to be doing, which is just not being outside, just laying down and staying put and trying to stay as dry as they can. Um, when it, you know, 
depends on where you're hunting but um you know in the dakotas if you didn't if deer didn't move in the wind they would hardly move so you can definitely kill deer on windy days but they're going to be a lot more cagey uh, because they can't hear anything and they're they're going to be mm-hmm. hyper aware of their surroundings so i've found that if i do have a a buck walking in on a windy day they are like on every movement you know and trying to trying to you know suss out that danger um if they can but yeah i uh you know and when there's a huge shift in the weather i found that a lot of times you have that on the day of the big change you know whether it be a snowstorm or a rainstorm or whatever it'll really shut down activity you know everyone's always super pumped up about oh it's going to be incredible the snow's coming in whatever and more often than not on the day that it snows not a thing moves and then you know once it starts to peter out or you know like the sun breaks through that cold front or whatever then they're on their feet and move yeah. like just blows up yeah so I, I prefer to hunt exactly yeah i mean i prefer to hunt the tail like on the back end of a big you know shift mm-hmm. um or right before it um but that's that's just me when you see a buck on camera how many times do you need to, or what do you, what criteria do you use to establish a pattern? Is it just multiple deer coming from the same direction at the same time? Is it multiple bucks? Is it the same buck showing up multiple times or a combination of all of the above? So my, typically my strategy on trail cameras, and this is mostly because I hunt almost all public land. Um, it's really difficult to pattern a deer on public just because there is that pressure. And, you know, if there's one person walks in and hunts that area, uh, it might shift their pattern completely. So I typically use cell or trail cameras as a way to just gather inventory from, you know, late summer all the way up until I start hunting. So I'll go in and pull cards and, and check everything. And it's mostly just confirming or, you know, seeing if there's a decent deer in the, in even the area. And then I'll start to figure it out from there and look for, you know, the best sign that I can hunt. Um, so I, I don't try to pattern deer so much on cameras just because of the way I hunt. Uh, I, you know, have, I think well, there's only been one time in the last five or six years that I've killed a deer that I had seen on camera before. It was just, you know, most of the time I'm like, oh, there's at least one good buck in the area. I know this is an area I want to hunt. And then typically where there's one good mature buck, another one to move through because, you know, dominance and, and deer and, you know, mark their territory and refreshing up scrape lines and all that kind of stuff. Where do you think we are right now in terms of the rut? It's, I mean, with this weather system we've been having in the upper Midwest, it's it, like, if you can be in the woods right now, you should be in the woods right now. You, we have, you know, a cold front come through, you got highs in the fifties, lows in the thirties and forties. Like it's a very good weather pattern for this last week of October. And a lot of big deer are getting killed right now. So if you can be in the woods, you need to be in the woods. Yeah, absolutely. Have you been seeing, uh, you, you mentioned you did have that buck was chasing a doe. You've been seeing a lot of chasing out there. So when hunting in Wisconsin, uh, it, almost every buck that I saw was at least tailing a doe or, or, you know, basically mm. looked like it was seeking and, and doing, you know, like pre really hard pre-rut activity. Uh, the buck that I killed, you know, he was following that doe and grunting, uh, every few steps as he was coming in. I yeah. It was, it was just, yeah, it was awesome. So, um, I haven't been out. I'm going to start hunting again tomorrow morning. Um, so I could, I'll text you with some more updates, but, um, cool. I don't, I don't know what's going on around my, my area right now. 
Well, I'll tell you where, where we're at. This is October 27. We're recording this. And a year ago, by the way, I was looking back at, at some memories on Snapchat and we were covered in snow a year ago on this day. It was, and Br- it was, it was nine four- degrees today. Yeah, I was going to say, we went duck hunting. It was 14 degrees and we were breaking ice to duck hunt on this day mm-hmm. a year ago. So uh, what a difference a year makes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not that way right now. And I, I did have one deer come through last year too. Just It's just a little buck chasing a doe and just, just all worked mm-hmm. up, just chasing like around the grove, just chasing her around the grove, like back and forth. It was, I, I think I, I actually scared him off because I was laughing at him so much in the woods. <laughs> it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, what about numbers? Are you seeing, are you seeing good numbers of deer out there, you think, or where do you think we're at population wise? Yeah, I think decent. I know both North and South Dakota got hit pretty hard with EHD in yeah. areas this year. Uh, especially the western part of the states um you know north dakota's offering refunds on tags um mm-hmm. if you want out west um and i know i don't i haven't looked at the map in south dakota to see where it got hit the hardest but with the drought we had this summer it was kind of inevitable that that was going to happen so i'm hoping that it didn't kill everything but we'll see we'll kind of see what happens when we get out there um with any luck the eastern part of north dakota uh didn't get it as bad as it did along the river um and you know hopefully put eyes on something decent i hunted opening day in north dakota and put eyes on a good buck but he was over on private Hmm. and uh you know too early to try to grunt him in or anything but it was just uh cool to know that there's a good buck in that chunk and hopefully i could get on him tomorrow morning ehd uh, was definitely an issue that drought um, affected a lot of things, whether it be dry creek, creek, creek beds, dry ponds, sloughs, um, EHD, South Dakota, Dan, didn't you say South Dakota was pulling tags? Mm-hmm. Pulling. They're going to withdraw any tags left over in some of those EHD zones now. Okay. Yeah. And did they cancel? I think they might've canceled the late season. There's typically like a later season doe hunt, okay. um, in South Dakota, some, in some places. And I think they canceled that as well. So I just got a message from Tyler Scott, by the way. I think he's still going to try to join us. Uh, he might be joining us here in just a second because he posted a picture, by the way, uh, in late September. It happened to be on my birthday, of all things, of him with a big moose. So uh, we got to hear the story about that. And we'll, well, I'm sure we'll talk some quality deer management with him here in just a couple of minutes. Um, you know, I think everybody was expecting we had a mild winter last year so everybody's expecting wildlife populations to be to be good and we've been doing pretty well with deer populations we've been doing well with pheasant populations uh it's been a weird year for waterfowl but i think that's just because we've been so dry that the birds are either either pushing down in weird places or they're just moving through they're not sticking around now that we've gotten a a ton of rain here in the last couple of weeks it's it's hopefully starting to hold some of these birds up just a little bit but uh i wasn't quite sure how the deer were going to do and i'm thankfully now here we're starting to see a bunch more deer show up and again i think that has a lot with a lot to do with all the the crops coming out you know we're seeing all of our corn is just about they're just about done pulling just about everything out beans have been done corn is uh is almost wrapped up i know in a lot of areas around us and um 
so I think it's, I'm excited. Like I, I, I bow hunted a little bit, me and Dan bow hunted a little bit early and we haven't been, uh, we haven't been out there for a while. We have, we've had so many East and South winds and the East wind does not work <laughs> where I hunt. So I've been waiting for some West winds. And, uh, the only problem is when those West and Northwest winds blow, it gets cold sitting in the stand. So and then we go duck hunting. Then we go, yeah, then we end up duck hunting. So, but I'm excited. I'm going to focus on bow hunting here, uh, over the next week or two. And uh, hopefully, hopefully get out there. I think it's about to get real good. There's Tyler joining us. Let's get Tyler in here. Um, Dan, if we can work mm -hmm, him in mm -hmm. here in just a little bit. Tyler Scott, who was, uh, who's at, are you still at work, Tyler? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Can you hear us? Oh, it's been a, it's been a, yes, I can. It's been a grind today. All right. What were you doing, man? Can you talk about it? Surgery, man. Well, just. Putting people to sleep and waking them up. <laughs> Putting people to sleep and waking them up. Uh, oh, if, they, if, if it were that easy, everybody would be doing that, Tyler. Um, well, I appreciate you joining us. I know you're, you've been busy at work, so thanks for joining us here. Just uh, have uh, we'll have you for a few minutes and let you get back there. But I want you to tell me about that moose first of all. It's trip of a lifetime. I uh, went to Alaska on a DIY drop hunt. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we've, I don't know how much time I have, but, uh, it was, uh, it was a trip that I think every one of you should go on. I mean, Sam on a drop on himself, obviously had a little bit different experience. Um, we, uh, we were out in the Yukon Delta out in the Western part of the state and three of us, we, uh, we dropped three moose in three days and mine was actually the smallest. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a hell of a trip. Well, you definitely sat far enough behind it to make it look giant. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. Three moose in three days. Three moose in six days. Six days. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. And so, so tell me about it. You, is it. Was it a hard hunt? Did you have to stalk it? How close did you get? How was it? Yeah, my. So the the Yukon Delta is super wet. We uh, spent. 12 hours a day in waders. Uh, so that was a challenging part, you know, just being in waders all the time. Granted, we were in the Sims type waders with hiking or uh, wader boots, which is pretty comfortable all in all. Uh, mine, mine was the most challenging. The goal was once you shot your animal, you had to get it back to the lake they dropped you on. I ended up shooting mine, I suppose, about three quarters of a mile away as a crow flies, but that mm. consisted of uh, bog and then another lake that we had to port a giraffe across that bog to go then across the lake to get that animal back. He didn't just grab a paddle and start uh, dragging? It took... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not really. <laughs> from, the, from the time we uh, went after him to the time we had him back to camp, it was 24 hours. Dang. So it, it took time. Man. You know, mm -hmm. you know it, it's pretty cool and, to shoot a big... And, 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 Go ahead, Tyler. The, the next moose was 50 yards from the edge of the lake, so it was complete 180 <laughs> as far as work involved. <laughs> nice, easy one. Dang. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Not only a hunting trip in Alaska, which is pure bucket list for me, top of the list, um, and a moose hunt, and to be able to be successful on a big moose, but the meat that you can get off that animal, did you do you know approximately how much meat you got off that moose? So we brought home about 700 pounds of meat boned between the three of us. And that was, oh, that was, that was less than half. 
the remaining meat, uh, the outfitter that we use for our transport, they've got a very good relationship with the locals. Hmm. And the rest of the meat was donated. And, and each day they have locals coming in and picking up meat from hunters who are not able or not wanting to take the remainder of their moose back home with them. Well, I'm sure they love that, having uh, good meat like yep. that, good protein to live off of up there. Cool story, man. Congratulations. And you shared that picture on my birthday, as a matter of fact. So I think that's a sign. I think that I'm going to have to take a birthday <laughs> trip to Alaska next year, maybe. Uh, let's talk whitetails with you, Tyler, um, just a little bit. Um, have you been Have you been spending much time in the stand? Very, honestly, very little. I haven't had a whole lot to go after here in Minnesota. Uh, there's one deer that showed up uh, a couple weeks ago, daylighted on Friday in the morning and in the evening. And unfortunately, I was on call all weekend, so I sat daydreaming. I tried on Monday, and he uh, he showed up in the dark before I got there, and he was there after the dark uh, when I left my stand. So he's a little cat and mouse, uh, but really haven't had a whole lot to go after. Heading down to Iowa on Friday to chase whitetails for a week, so hopefully oh, I can change my luck there. Wow, Iowa whitetail hunt and an Alaska moose hunt in the same year? Come on. Jeez. What um, What do you think conditions are like this year? What do you think about population numbers? Um, did the drought affect you much? Where do you think we're at? Compared to the Dakotas, I feel like Minnesota, we're, we're just fine. We have plenty of water and nutrition is fine as far as forbs and brows and egg fields. Well, we have plenty we're of water. Fine be- over because here. I don't you- think it compares. Tyler, you, that's because you live in a county with 1,100 lakes in it. No, of course you got plenty of water <laughs> in Ottertail County. True, true. Jeez. But, uh, <laughs> but you're seeing plenty of deer, though? Deer numbers are fine. Uh, I, don't, I don't see any issues for us. You know, fortunately, we aren't in a CWD area. We aren't in an EHD area. We haven't been affected by the drought like maybe you guys down in the western part of the state or the Dakotas. So, so we're fine. Um, of course, deer management is always a hot topic button in Minnesota on how we manage things here uh, for any sort of trophy quality, which is lacking. Uh, th- but that's a topic for that you guys maybe already discussed. Well, do you think we'll ever see APR again? I highly doubt it. So I got a message from Rick Hansen. Um, here this morning, actually, before we, we did this, before we recorded the show. And there was a hearing today on, uh, on a number of things. And one of them was chronic wasting disease and, and the fight against chronic wasting disease in Minnesota. And obviously the captive servant farm issue is, it's gotta be the number one issue when it comes to CWD here in Minnesota. I'd like you, you, you and Sam get both your thoughts on, on what we need to do. Rick brought it up today that we need to do live testing on all these captive servants to find out what's going on. As of right now, they only test deer after they die. So you don't know how many live deer are in these farms that have CWD. In fact, a bunch of deer got uh, shipped into Minnesota here, what, a couple of weeks ago from a Wisconsin farm. And that Wisconsin farm ended up having a case and they had shipped a bunch of deer to, I think, three different farms in Minnesota or something like that. I haven't read the story in a couple of weeks, so I could be off a little bit on my details. But essentially, they shipped live deer with CWD to farms here in Minnesota. What what needs to happen in your opinion, what needs to happen? Maybe Sam, I don't know if you want to tackle this or whichever one of you guys want to tackle this first. Um, what do you think needs to happen uh, to, to battle the CWD when it comes to uh, deer farms? Well, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I think live testing is probably a good start. 
and then figuring out what how, where to go from there. You know, I've fortunately lived in states and hunted in states where it hasn't been a major issue. And so I honestly haven't done a whole pile of research on it. Um, sure. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to captive, uh, captive animals, I think it only makes sense to have them tested if you are shipping them across state lines, especially with how much the state agencies are cracking down on CWD and trying to really maintain it. Um, yeah, that's that'd be my thought for now. Yeah, and then you have situations like what happened in Beltrami County where that guy that had the deer farm, he ended up dumping some carcasses on public land. Well, now that public land is going to be fenced off for 20 years maybe. And granted, it wasn't, what was it, six acres or five acres, still. whatever it was. Still, yeah, that's public ground that now is off limits to the public because this guy dumped a CWD positive deer there. So, uh, Tyler, what do you think needs to happen when it comes to the fight against CWD in Minnesota? I mean, like Sam said, it's, it's a very loaded question, and I, I don't know if it's anybody tough. knows the right answer. Yeah. It's, not, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's here to stay. I mean, as I, I don't want to even say the word, but it's like COVID, right? COVID's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. You know, at some point we're going to have to learn to live with it and manage it. But I think testing for sure on all those live animals, like you say, is a, is a great idea. Uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but dual fencing is still not mandatory on these deer farms. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think it's only when there's a positive case, maybe that they have to put up a second fence. I, I can't remember the exact specifics either. Dan will, I, I feel, Dan will do a little digging I feel like a, I feel like a dual fence should have been implemented a long time ago to yeah. prevent any sort of interaction between wild deer and, and captive deer. But obviously the cat's out of the bag now. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. I don't, I don't know the right answer. All right. Well, it's something that uh, people above our pay grade are going to have to make those decisions on, uh, you know, for good, for good or bad. Oh, yeah. Rick just sent me another message. Well, we'll have to dig into this a little bit more and see what he says. And we'll follow up on a on a future show here. But um, Tyler, when are you going to get back? When are you going to be able to spend some more time in the stand, you think? gonna have to be iowa this we're heading down friday it looks like the we're gonna get a nice push of this rain and this big low pressure pushing south through the rest of the week uh and temperatures drop and in 40s for highs for lows so next week both here the dakotas iowa anywhere in the midwest it should be on fire so do you think if I end up having a real nice buck on camera a few days in a row and he's, he's coming through before legal shooting time or, or after dark, do you think you, I could have you come and, you know, like shoot a tranquilizer dart into him like right next to my stand so he wakes up at 730? Uh, do you think we could work something like, work something like that out? <laughs> Has anybody ever asked you that question before? Let's... We'll talk off the air. How about that? (laughs) All right. Well, um, guys, I appreciate the time. I'll let you get back to work there. Um, Good luck in Iowa, of course. And uh, Sam, good luck in uh, your endeavors. We should. um, Do you want to talk about Stamp It Forward, where you're at with Stamp It Forward, Sam, real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, Let's see. I just did a tally on it, and we've raised about 18, over $18,000 this year so far. Nice. And have bought have bought stamps with uh, every dime of that money and are giving away stamps over at Public Land Tees. So that's what's going on now. That's so cool. That's uh, such a great, great uh, 
great program and great idea. Um, give us uh, give us your websites. Tell people where they can find that uh, websites and social media, Sam. Yeah, for sure. So uh, publiclandtees.com, like uh, T-E-E-S, like T-shirts, is the website. And you can follow us uh, either on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, just uh, at publiclandtees. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're still rocking and rolling with Stamp It Forward and raising as much money as we can. And we got some, got some big stuff coming out over the next uh, week and a half or so, I think kind of kick it into overdrive this year. Nice. Well, uh, congratulations on the su- success of that. Keep up the good work and uh, good luck with everything in the future. And, and Tyler, anything you want to plug some, uh, quality deer management, or maybe where a guy could get some surgery or something. Well, Fergus falls is kind of on the map right now. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> no, I got nothing for you guys. All right. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, uh, gentlemen, good luck. Good luck this fall. And thanks for the time today on the show. Hey, thanks man. This has been the finding fur and feathers hunting podcast, part of the sporting journal radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. Black Caparl is one of Minnesota's premier waterfowl hunting locations with 50 to 100,000 geese staging annually. And Mid-Migration Outfitters offers guided duck and goose hunting around the Black Caparl area. Call now to book your hunt or visit MidMigrationOutfitters.com. That's MidMigrationOutfitters.com. That's MidMigrationOutfitters.com for guided duck and goose hunting around the Lacquaparle area in western Minnesota.